Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Latart on Location. I'm your host, Steve Latart. When you spent more than 20 years of your life traveling the road, first as a NASCAR crew chief and now as an analyst for NBC, you're bound to meet some interesting characters along the way. With Latard on Location, the goal is to bring you closer to some of the personalities I've connected with in a bunch of great and interesting locations. So sit back and get ready for some off-the-grid conversation. Today, we have a Latard on Location first. We've been in bars, coffee shops, racetracks, <laughs> pool halls, garages, you name it. But today we are coming from a hospital, and not just any hospital. We're at uh, Levine's Children's Hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. And perhaps I think even more crazier for me is that we're at a media studio within a hospital. So today, if you're going to go to a cool place, you have to have a cool guest. So I have a cool guest today. Uh, so I looked for your title before I introduce you. I've had <laughs> presidents, crew chiefs, drivers. So I'm going with a daughter of an Xfinity Series championship owner, graduate of Florida State University uh, and a sports marketing degree. So I didn't graduate college. She did. Business owner <laughs> of a clothing boutique, longtime girlfriend, partner to cup champion Martin Trex Jr., cancer survivor, and the name behind the hashtag and movement of Sherry Strong. I have Sherry Pollux joining me. Thank you for coming down and saying hello. Thanks for having me. This is quite the introduction. Fun. Thanks. I, well, listen, I was looking for a simple title, but there's <laughs> nothing simple about it. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of hats. Yeah. I mean, I would say out of all that, the most important thing and the one thing that um, the, the Sherry Strong movement is really cool, but is just me being founder of the Martin Trix Jr. Foundation was probably like the biggest thing for me that um, got me into where we are today and why we're in Seacrest Studios here at, at the Children's Hospital. So um, all of that has been an important part of my journey and how I ended up where I'm at today. But I think the most important piece of all of that is the philanthropy work. It's just a huge part of who I am and I love it. Well, it's amazing. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But you mentioned it. Okay. So I think the listeners can understand a hospital. We're lucky to live in Charlotte, uh, which is quickly becoming a medical mm -hmm. kind of uh, centerpiece up and down the East Coast. I've uh, been fortunate enough. I worked with um, Ronald McDonald House for a long time, and they've educated me yeah. on a lot that's going on here. But this Seacrest Studios. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let you explain why a media studio in a hospital. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody, I think everybody listening is probably familiar with who Ryan Seacrest is. You know, obviously, ever since American Idol started, he kind of became this big phenom of, of just media and the music world. But um, he came up with this great idea. He has a foundation called Seacrest Foundation, Ryan Seacrest Foundation, and he came up with this great idea to have these media studios um, inside hospitals where we could pipe into the kids' rooms and they could listen to musical guests that come in and perform. They play games here. They do... Um, stuff like this so it's it's just an amazing place i mean it doesn't feel like you're in a hospital right it's not at all you're not inside all. a dj booth it's so cool and i think the kids love it and um you know i think it just it's it's something different when you're sitting in a hospital room for months or weeks on end you know you get to listen to some music they can i believe they can even call in like requests right in from their rooms which is so cool that is awesome um, yes it's so it's so awesome so martin and i've been here a couple times and we've been here when there's been music 
musical guests here and it's just incredible to sometimes they'll bring the kids down and they sit in here and they'll play music and they get to meet some stars and um, they've had some big guests in here so it's it's really cool for us to be a part of it our foundation helped build it um, it's it's near and dear to my heart I'd like to go visit all of them because they're in hospitals all across the U.S. but this is the only one I've ever been to but it's on my bucket list to go to all of them one day you might be able to take me along so this podcast is actually being broadcast <laughs> into the rooms of the kids yeah. um I, what a great idea you know it's it's so personally as a father of two kids you know all you want is for your children to be healthy yeah. unfortunately everyone's not healthy it's not how the world is i've been i've been blessed with the chance to go between make a wish and uh nationwide children's hospital bunch of different programs i've been a part of i got to go visit some of these kids and the fact that someone much as yourself and ryan seacrest thinks about not just trying to make the kid healthier. How else can we make it more manageable, uh, more reasonable? Such a great idea. I would have never thought of it. Right. I know. And, and I think, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, like if your kids are in the hospital and, and, and they're dealing with some type of illness, whether they're here for surgery or they have cancer or whatever they're going through, you know, what can you do to bring them a little bit of hope and to kind of mm -hmm. give them an environment where it's upbeat and it doesn't feel like they're in a hospital. Right. And Levine Children's Hospital does such an amazing job doing that. You walk in here and it just exudes joy and, and hope. And I, I love this place. Every time I come here, I just want to go upstairs and go in all the rooms and see the kids. And they have a great activity room upstairs. They do games and um, we've had ice cream socials here and we've done so many cool things here um, in conjunction with Catwalk for a Cause. You know, our big fashion show that we do, we get a lot of our kids from here. So um, it is really incredible that this place is right in our backyard and I love coming down here and it's, yeah, Seacrest Studios is really cool. Yeah, I look, what the walls idea. are covered with right? the who's who of everything that yeah. have been here. It's really amazing. It is cool. Um, <coughs> but listen, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to circle back to a lot of things. You're one of those people that I have known for a long time but mm -hmm. never really got to know. We, 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 our social circles would touch. Our yep. obviously professions would touch at times, but um, we just have always been so busy. So I was excited for this opportunity. So when I was doing my research, I was shocked to know um, you are four days older than me. Seriously? Yeah, four days. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so crazy. I, I, May 14th of 79. 79 was a great year. 79 really, was a great year. It really <laughs> happened in May. And, and that was my job. And I tell you, this wow. is going to sound awful. But when I did my research on you and everything you've done, it didn't become real until our birthdays almost connected. I know that sounds odd, but I'm like, we have lived almost the same life, like yeah. the almost the exact same amount of time on, on this earth. earth. It's crazy. It is crazy. So, so I'm really looking forward to this. That's so why I like you. You're a Taurus. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tauruses. That's we're, we're bulls. Uh, we're stubborn, aren't that, we? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, uh, you could call it stubborn. I, uh, I My wife politely calls it strong-willed. Yes. Okay. So, but yeah, I that's like stubborn better. So, uh, so let's go on. So. I've known you a long time for a lot of reasons. Let's go back before I knew you. Michigan native. Yeah. Early in life, moved to Florida, though. Yeah, I moved to Florida when I was um, in middle school. Unfortunately, my parents got divorced, and my mom wanted to change the pace, so she moved us to Florida. And, um, you know, it was tough. I think any time, you know, any kind yep. of trauma like that happens in your life, and you move from the place that you've grown up and you loved. I still spend a ton of time in Michigan. Martin and I have a place up there in northern Michigan. We visit a lot. My dad's still there. Um, it's a huge part of my life, but I did, uh, you know, after that, spent a lot of time in Florida and then went to school at Florida State, so. So was there, was it always Florida State, or did you think maybe go back to Big Blue? I thought about going back to Michigan, not Big Blue. My dad's a Spartan, so oh, I, we bleed green, <laughs> green oh, and white, so there's for no sure. Blue in the family. Yeah, there's no blue in the family. Um, 
I, I thought about going back to Michigan State, but at the time, I, I mean, I'd kind of, you know, had some roots in Florida. My family, my mom was there. My sister was there. And I don't know. I just I ended up, I was always a Seminole fan. And I thought, I, I can't, I thought about going to UF. And I was like, man, I can't make myself be a Gator. Okay, yes. <laughs> I just can't bring myself to do it. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I ended up going to Florida State, not really sure what I wanted to do. And got into sports marketing and I loved it. And that was kind of right about the time that my dad had started getting into racing mm -hmm. and was, was selling insurance and went to NASCAR to actually sell insurance to them, <laughs> which is crazy. And met Chad Little. And then this, this ripple effect of him becoming a car owner came about. And I mean, my family had always kind of watched NASCAR and right. been around it as a little girl. I went to MIS and I mean, I, I remember being in the stands with my dad and, and having a Rusty Wallace t-shirt on and just, See, you know, Rusty was my guy. I used yeah. to have one of those uh, Kodiak, yeah. T-shirts, the oh, 27 yeah. Kodiak car. Yes. That was yeah. that was the year for oh, me. Oh yeah, I remember that. And and my dad was racing street stocks when I was growing up. So we used to go to all these little local speedways and watch them do figure eights and all, mm -hmm. you know. And and so I kind of I grew up around the sport essentially. I mean, I, I didn't know that I had as big of a love for it as I do now. But um, yeah, that was just a crazy time in my life, just <clears throat> being at Florida State and then having my dad get into racing and start that, and then wondering like hey is there an opportunity for me to work in that sport and and would I like it you know and that's uh, eventually what I ended up doing and how Martin and I met <laughs> so uh, that kind of uh goes to my next conversation so sports marketing and then yeah. your dad kind of <laughs> brings you to the NASCAR side so unless my math is way off Martin had to be driving for chance to yeah so, so I this actually is like <coughs> 90 Make sure I have my years right. Well, no, 2000s. this is like 2000, early 2000s, like sometime around 2004. Mm -hmm. I actually moved to Charlotte because I missed my family. I was working in South Florida, and I moved to, to back to North Carolina. I really missed my family. My dad my dad ended up moving there because his race team was there, and mm -hmm. my brother and sister were there, and my mom was eventually going to move there. And, and so I really wanted to be close to my family, and I ended up interviewing with um, – a friend that my dad knew that owned a sports marketing company and, and working for Miller Brewing Company I actually flew to Milwaukee and, and met with Steve Loletta, who yep. now works for, it's we're all connected. This is a small circle. It's a really small circle. So yeah. that's who my boss was actually, okay. is Steve. And, um, and we ended up becoming really good friends and, and I worked for Miller and I loved it. And I did Rusty's last call tour. And so I kind of traveled with Bobby Allison and did that whole deal at the end. And, and it was so special to be a part of that. Um, I loved it. And then Martin and I sort of got set up through that. So I read that. that. So, so am I allowed to ask like who the, who the matchmaker was? Is this Josh public? Schneider. Oh, not Do you remember Josh Schneider? I still know Schneider. Okay. Josh Schneider. Well, that's who it was. And actually... So for I mean, the names we're throwing, okay, let's go. St Steve Laletta <laughs> is, what do you think his title currently is? I think he's president. President, yeah. president of Chip Ganassi Racing. Yeah. <coughs> Josh Snyder, who no one on this broadcast is going to know, but we know. Um, I've met multiple Worked times Dale through Dale Jr., work with Dale Jr. So, yeah. okay, so Snyder was the matchmaker. Yeah, Snyder was working for Dale Jr. and somehow, you know, asked if we would go on a, a quote-unquote blind date. Right. I knew who he was. Yeah. I knew who he was in the garage. I didn't really know a lot about him. I knew he drove the eight car for Dale Jr. That was all I knew. And um, asked me. Snyder's PR guy at one point? Yes, that's, who, that's what he was doing at the time. And he's There's like, There's not oh, a chance that Snyder <laughs> and Martin are going to get anywhere on time. Right? Just not a clear. chance. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, we ended up all going out to the rusty rudder that night oh, and great i know it's, 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 so we ended up all going out and i remember thinking to myself 
this is not um this isn't good for me like i this crowd runs way too hard for oh, me oh yes. <laughs> yes i mean i had never met tail junior mm-hmm. well i mean i had passed him in the garage but i had never been friends with him or been out to dirty mo acres mm. or any experienced any of that side of racing so um i wasn't so sure i wanted to be wrapped up in that crowd at that time not that they weren't having a great time but i was really focused on my job then and i loved what i was doing and my family was close and i really wanted to be with them and um, you know, Martin and I went, we all met up that night and then we ended up going on a date, I don't know, a week or two later and we moved in together three months later and that was, I don't know, now almost 15 years ago or so. That's so outstanding. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, if you're going to socially work with that group, you have to be committed to the social life. Yes. They were, they're professionals. Which is so ironic because that period of time in my life, I feel like after every Bush Series race, we would all go back to Dale Jr.'s on Saturday That's nights right. and party. Yeah. But then, you know, as w- when Martin moved away from all that and we bought our house together and we and we moved in, he was so different than that. Right. That's right. not really who he was. He really was a homebody. He mm-hmm. wanted to be home all the time. I was like, who is this guy? Right. Right. Like, I thought that you wanted to party every night, mm-hmm. but he really didn't want to. He really wanted to just have this really quiet life mm-hmm. and not not do that anymore. And so it was a total change of pace for me. And it was actually quite refreshing at that time because we were getting into our, I don't know, later 20s, which is still time. You know, you still. Yeah want to party right. and have fun and we were but just not as hard as we were right, in our early right. 20s yeah the recovery yeah. is a lot longer the so, recovery so you say it wasn't worse. good for you and you joked about it but uh, i want to know so for the people listening you're now dating yeah a driver yeah who is competing for the last year or two had to still be complete like pbc was around through the mid yes. 2000s yep so like when i want to know the story when did you finally break down to your dad and say hey by the way yeah because it had to be that was tough. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be an <laughs> awkward moment. Awkward yeah, dad-daughter sure. moment. Yes, yeah, right. My dad did Because my daughter's 13, and that's never going to happen. Yeah. That's what I've determined. We're never <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I'm losing this battle, right. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. My dad My dad really didn't want me to date a race car driver. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, can, I can understand now why. You yeah. know, I get it. Um I, I think at some point throughout that time, because my dad had a race team and, and he was competing against Martin's car, I had to sit down with him and say, hey, you know, I, I'm sure people in the garage are talking. I was still working in the garage. Yeah, right. and I really wanted to be this, like, professional female, you know, marketing person that was that valued my job and wanted to find my place in the garage. But I was really careful because I didn't want people to know that I was dating him because mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be a conflict of interest. So um, it was it was quiet for a long time before we ever were out in public together. And I, I remember telling my dad, hey, um, you know, you're probably going to hear some rumors in the garage, but, you know, this is who I'm dating. And he was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I don't, I don't really remember him being upset with me. I just remember him saying like, um, you know, I really want you to think about where you, where your place is in the garage, what you want to do. You right. want to be respected as right. a professional. And I think that's really hard as a female working in the garage. You know, you, you, do uh, you have no other opportunity really to meet people? That's, that's what I try to explain. People, I don't understand why until I was to this day, I'm 40 years old. Yeah. I have one or two casual friends that don't work in NASCAR. Right. Right. Exactly. So I equate it the same way, right? So as a, a yeah. guy meeting buddies to hang out with, they all work there because right. that's where you spend all your time. So yeah. to your point as a female, like, 
That's your dating pool. Yeah, where are you going? That's your dating pool. That's a rough pool. (laughs) It is a rough pool to choose from, (laughs) right? So, I mean, you're on the road, you know, 38 weekends out of the year. Mm -hmm. So your opportunity to meet people and to to gain friendships or to date or whatever are very small. So I think my dad understood, and and it's crazy. My dad was over yesterday at the house. We had, like, a big celebration for Martin's win, and it was his birthday. And they're so close now. I think now that my dad's not in racing, he really misses it. Right. And so having that connection to Martin and having somebody to kind of watch and cheer for, and he loves that. And and they're really close now, and so, so I think it you know it all worked out good because he's close with my family. But there was a there was a period of a couple of years there where my dad was like, you know, my dad had heard the stories of what went on. Oh at yeah, Dale's. yeah, right. <laughs> like I'm not saying it was like super crazy because I don't want Dale to get upset with me. No, but, but to your point. But it like, was oh. a it was the party place. It was the party place to be, you know. And, yeah. and so I think my dad had those that little period of time where he was like, you well, know, you're you need his to be daughter. Really like as yeah. a dad, it's my job to protect my daughter. Exactly. Even though the real world's out there, that's I don't right. have to believe it. That's not right. Yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, he knew we, we'd moved in together not long after that. And mm-hmm. I think he knew that we were going to be together for a really long time. And, and, and it certainly hasn't been an easy, um, you know, 14, 15 years for us. We've been through a lot together and, and, um, but you know, I think it's just kind of made us who we are today. And I'm thankful for all of that. So, so you and Martin meet and move in together. So, okay, and you brought it up right at the beginning of the show. The Martin Jr. Martin Truex Jr. Foundation. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get into why you created it, but just really quick, does do you ever just can't believe way back when you made that decision that now? Yeah. Uh, it's it's fortunate and unfortunate that it all overlaps. Mm-hmm. But what was it in 2007 that you said this is this is what we should do? Um, well, Mar- I mean, Martin was doing really well in his career then, and I think we just both felt like we'd been blessed as children and had a really good childhood mm-hmm. and that we were so lucky to be healthy and to have this platform through NASCAR to be able to give back and help other people. So I think right off the bat, we just knew. I mean, I just remember sitting outside one day saying, you know, we, we give a little here and there, but yep. we really need to start something that's like the foundation of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we want to do? And wh- what do we one day when we're not here anymore, what do we want our legacy to be? And for me, um, I wanted my legacy to be that I was here to, to make other people's lives better. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I knew that's what like God was calling me to do. I wanted to help children because I didn't have children at the time. I wanted to be a mom really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just early. We were young. We weren't yeah. really thinking about that yet. We just knew that we wanted to help kids. So initially we started like, hey, we're going to start this foundation. We're going we're gonna to do like hunger, neglect, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. kids that have cancer. We picked all these different things. And then somewhere along that 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 journey we just were drawn to kids that had pediatric cancer mm-hmm. and I don't know it, it there's so much irony in it now that I battle the same disease it's right. just incredible to me that in that moment that God was already in my life kind of paving that way and so um, you know pediatric cancer became a huge part of our life we'd, we'd come here and visit the kids and just we'd leave and we'd just cry the whole way home like we have to do something to make their lives better you know what can we do mm-hmm. and that's really how it all started and when we got into the oncology part of it and then you know fast forward to 2014 when I get diagnosed with ovarian cancer and that's when we rebranded the foundation to include ovarian and pediatric cancer which are two grossly underfunded cancers mm-hmm. and um, it is so ironic now that my life has ended up being one of them. You know, it's, it's crazy. A, it's amazing. You mentioned the here. Just remind all the listeners. So we're here at the Seacrest Studio, which is in the Levine Children's Hospital, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a media studio. The Ryan Seacrest Foundation uh, put it in with the help of the Martin Truex Foundation. There's actually a plaque on the wall with all the different people that yeah. helped give to create and to continue to fund this um, media space. It broadcasts to the kids' rooms. They can 
different artists. The who's who of music is on the wall here, everybody that showed up. But that's the location for today. And we are talking with Sherry Pollock. We just touched on the Martin Truex Jr. Foundation, which was created in 07, so 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, and I've been to a few of these, uh, it's, it's surprising me the date you pick for the catwalk now that I know your birthday um, because that's usually why I end up missing it is because it's around All-Star and my wife yeah. does something nice for my birthday. Yeah. And, and <laughs> But I've been to a few of these. An absolute genius idea to have a fashion show. Everybody comes. It's so different than, than – and I'm not knocking any other charity. Anybody who puts time into any charity, really, God bless you. You're doing great things. But this is just so unique. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, it's so much fun. What was it? I, I want to know, A, how you thought it up, and B, I really want to know what Martin thought when you said, hey, look, <laughs> we're going to do a fashion show. Yeah, so, I well, that first year, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I, I was I own a clothing store where we live, and I thought, gosh, you know, it would be so cool to just do something different. Let's just have a fashion show, see how many people show up. We did it at River Run Country Club mm -hmm. in Davidson. There was like 50 people there. Right. And I told Martin, I was like, hey, we're going to do this fashion show. There was no kids in it then. It was right, just models. Right. And and we're gonna I'm going to donate all the proceeds back to our foundation. I just want to see how it goes. I just want to see who shows up and he's like oh man do you, do you want me to come to that and i'm like yeah it'd be pretty nice if you showed up i mean your I'll give name you a little, is give you a little hint your I'll name is the foundation yeah so. i'll give you a little hint if you don't show up the doors <laughs> are going to be locked tomorrow when you get home so um he did show up and and it, we actually had a great time that night and we raised about seven thousand dollars and we were like man we might be onto something there's like yeah. 50 people there that's that's not bad you know no. we're not doing too bad so this was early days of the foundation when like seven thousand dollars was a, i mean it still is a lot of money still but to us then we were like right. whoa we're, we're right. doing something right so then, you know, year after year, it just, it, it got bigger and bigger. And, and I, I don't remember if it was like the second or the third year. I was like, what, it would be really cool if we got the kids to be involved. And, and then what if we had like celebrities walk with the kids? You know, what if we like got the NASCAR community involved and like had the drivers come out and walk with the kids? And how special would that be? Not only just for them to be able to meet the drivers and, and maybe have a relationship with them for the future, you know? And, and, and how many people would show up to see them walk the runway, to see them have this night where they can forget about everything that they're going through, leave their treatments, their medical problems at home, and just be a superstar for the night. And, and us to get to spoil them and, and give them stylist and clothes and bring right. them in limos whatever we can do to make their life better and it just took off like i never even imagined it could and you know last year was our 10th anniversary and now we're to the point where we're like okay we can we can do a million dollars in one night i know we can like we're so close that is so awesome it's just it's incredible and now we're talking about maybe expanding it and doing one in like in nashville and doing them right, in just right. different locations you know and getting like florida georgia line involved and our buddy cole swindell and some you know bringing some more music in and cole plays every year yep. the past couple years has played what a great guy God, i've met him I, a couple times went to his show um, He's incredible. in Charlotte. I was there too with so Ruby, one of my catwalk kids. Uh, yeah, so yeah. we were there, and last minute deal, he was yeah. playing. Um, and and if no one's ever gone to a Cole Swindell show, it, it was out. an A plus show. He is one of the few artists that is as good live. Yeah. As he is in anything I've recorded. And He's just incredible. Yeah, I know. I keep telling him I want him to come here. We were talking about that earlier. I want him to come here so bad. He's been to one of the Seacrest studios. I think it was in Atlanta. But um, he is just an incredible person, and he's so good with the kids. So the cool thing about Catwalk is that not only do the drivers develop relationships with the kids that usually last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. They keep
keep in touch with the, the kid they walk in, they walk with in the show. And um, But Cole does too. So Cole met this little girl named Ruby that is just a really, if you follow me on social media, you see her on my page a lot. She has just stolen my heart. And she's still, she's in maintenance therapy right now. She's um, she's not treated here. She's treated at Novant, but she is a special little girl. And Cole saw her sitting on the edge of the stage at Catwalk this past year and just fell in love with her, took this amazing picture with her, and then invited her to come to Charlotte. That's so great. So we, we, we bring her out to his concert, and as you saw if you were there, he yeah. brings oh, her yeah. out on stage yep. and dances with her and just lights up her whole world. And now Cole Swindell is her boyfriend. So that, we went and saw him last weekend in Virginia, and I took her again, and he took her out um, on stage in, middle, in the middle of middle of a memory and slow danced with her on stage. And you could have just, like – I mean, I was like a puddle. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could have just, like, thrown my heart on the ground. I mean, it was just to see the way she looks at him and the way she looks up to him. And just what a – he's a really good person. He just has a really big heart. Mm-hmm. And he thinks so much of our foundation and our kids. And, and it's just – yeah, it's really cool to build those relationships and then and see them blossom after Catwalk and see that commitment, you know, happen all the way through. It's just really cool. I don't think the kids realize um, – you know, they, they the kids will say, oh, this sports star, this music star, this yeah. race car driver, that's my hero. That's what I want to meet. And so many times it flips. Yeah. So many times you take this star, whether yeah. it's Cole or Dale Jr. or Martin or whomever, and you meet these kids and they have no idea they become our heroes, right? That's because so they are doing more than, than not you, but more than me and most of these other people have ever had been challenged yeah. with in life. And it's, uh, it's truly amazing to see they can kind of light up a room because they yeah. really kind of put to shame the effort we think we're putting in. We're not putting any hard work in compared yeah. to what these kids are doing. Cole says that all the time. Every time we go see him in concert and we bring her, he's like, I just, I, she lights up my whole world. Yeah. Like, I look up to her. Like, I look to her to see how I'm supposed to live, you know? Mm-hmm. And we, we wear these bracelets as they emulate Ruby, and it's just like emulate kindness and joy and hope every day, everywhere you go. You know, if you can light up someone's world everywhere you go, every day, whether at the grocery store or it doesn't matter where you're at, and, and that's that's really what we've tried to do, and, and we try to do that, you know, obviously every day of our lives. But we're all gonna, like you said, we all have bad days. But yeah. man, you can't be around those. That's days my and motto, though. My yeah. wife gets a little frustrated with me at times because I don't have bad days. Yeah, I made a, a choice early in life that awesome. there's a lot I cannot control, but yeah. so much I control affects other things. Yeah, and and I'm a big believer in the ripple effect. You know, yeah. one little change here can change something down the road that yeah. you have no idea exists. So. Uh, I went, it was um, the first one I went to, the first catwalk was at MWR. Yeah. And it was my same thing. My wife and her girlfriends got together, and it mm-hmm. took a look. She's like, look, we're going <laughs> to this fashion, fashion show. show. And I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, of course, I go to my social director. I call Dale Jr. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, look, is this something? I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, great time, Dale's great time. walked in a lot. And when he told me, because instantly he was like, oh, yeah, you're going? Yeah. That's going to be great. That's yeah. going to be like, he's looking for yeah. people to hang out with. Yes. And it was a, it was a, um. I mean, it was a huge event, a great yeah. time, continues this day um, every May. Is that yeah. basically still so the time Every frame? Wednesday before the All-Star Race. And Which you were for those who are listening, right between the 10th and the 14th. That's right between our birthdays. So I tell my sister every year, I'm like, why do I plan this around my birthday? Like, I have so much going on right now. You know, it was my 40th this past year, and we went to Turks and Caicos, and we were, had all this stuff going on. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not great timing, but it's great timing for everybody else. It might not be for me, but it's, you Sometime, know, it's yeah. not about me. You it's did about Turks? them. Yeah. I did Jamaica. Okay. I heard. That's why Dale Jr. couldn't walk in my show. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he Gosh. was with you celebrating your 40th. I forgot that. He was like, Cher, I got bad news. I'm not going to be able to do a catwalk this year. And I was like, what? You promised me. He's like, yeah. It's it, was, 40th. it was my 40th. It yeah. was. Well, that's cool. It was, it, you know, you got it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to celebrate. That's right. Um, 
So these are all great things, and we're going to circle back. I'm going to break it up in the middle. We're going to circle all the way back to 2014 and have that whole discussion. But before we do that, every podcast, I've learned the best way to get to know somebody is to ask the most miscellaneous, random, <laughs> quick hitter. These don't yeah. take a lot of thought. Kay. I call these first date questions because these are something yeah. I'm trying to uh, understand. Sure. So I'm a coffee drinker. My wife's a tea drinker. You are? Tea. A tea. So now does Martin drink coffee? No. Really? He doesn't drink anything in the morning because he's not up. <laughs> <laughs> Even the hunter, though, no coffee when he hunts. No, that's uh-uh. shocking. I no, he do that. he loves the smell of it. He hates the taste of it, and he's oh, not right. usually up before noon. So okay, all right, beach or mountains? Beach. Beach. Yeah, every day of the week. Yeah, I mean, I love the mountains and I love to hike and I love but nature. The beach is the beach. But the beach is the beach. Okay, all right. Um, this can be a two part. <laughs> so you've met much like me, been around for forty years. In your fortieth year, are you a morning or a night person? A uh, morning. Okay. I, oh, well, actually, so yeah, that is a two-part question because I'm not really either. I okay. don't love. I'm not. I'm not an early riser. I don't get up to like eight or nine. I'm not like a, a, a morning person. Mm-hmm. But I love that peacefulness of the morning. Like I like to go sit outside and be by myself and like take a minute. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of like I do my Bible study in the morning. I like to just have that quiet time. I don't. I used to be a night person. Like I used to love to go out at night and have fun with my friends and yep. stuff. After my cancer diagnosis, it was a lot harder for me to do that because uh, I ta- I'm still on oral chemo, so I, I don't do well that not that late at night. I could try to go to bed fairly early, but I do have times where I go out and have fun and party, but I pay for it the next day. So so I feel like we're the same person yeah. because I my old crew chief habits, so I'm like a 5.30 guy in the morning just by oh, habit yeah. I wake up, yeah. which means I'm like a 9 p.m., 9.30. Yeah. And now that I have a 10th grader, yeah. I'm like, Trish, my wife and I, we joke, she's yeah. like, you, you, you know, what do you think he's doing? I was like, I don't know, but we went to bed at 9.30. Yeah. I, I'm hoping he behaved because it's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he did past 9.30. Exactly. I was asleep. Yeah. All right, this one here, this is more for the traveler in you. Um, when you travel, are you an adventurer? Try a boutique hotel or you're a creature of a habit? You like your own restaurants in your own town? Uh, how do you travel? No, I'm an adventurer. I like to pick different cool little boutique hotels okay. and stuff. The only thing I would say I'm like creature of habit about is my food. I'm like psycho about my food because I have a crazy diet. Yeah. So I either bring my own food or I like research where I'm going ahead of time so I know which restaurants to go to. I think that's totally is, acceptable. Yeah. All right, so the last one, most important personal quality and your pet peeve, which can be a personal quality or anything else. When you, when you meet somebody, friend, foe, whoever – What's the one quality you look for the most? I would say humor because I'm like a really joyful, happy person. So if you can make me laugh, like if I'm around you and you can make me laugh and have a good time and just like – like we have dance parties at our house all the time. Like oh, I yeah. need, I need somebody that's like got a lot of energy. That's really joyful, which is ironic because Martin's nothing like that. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, I didn't want to, I don't I hope he's not listening. No, Martin it's okay. Nothing he's what you not anything ex- like that. Um, so well, they we say all, opposites attract. We all do. Cause my wife is, is, yeah, she is a straight, li- she's an attorney, right? So okay. there's, there's, she can break down and have a good time. Yeah. But let's be clear, you know, she's very like, yeah. I mean, a lot of her emails will start with, um, you know, in reference to paragraph, I'm like, okay, stop, yeah. stop. People don't <laughs> talk out. like this. Yeah. She literally to this because she's my agent now. Yeah. I don't have an agent, so That's she awesome. will. She'll like respond to something. Yeah. And now our new thing is, she sends it to me and says, "Could you quote?" pretty this up oh my gosh that's so funny sweetheart it is opposites attract for sure yeah martin and i total opposites i would say biggest pet peeve is um just like people that are full of negativity and just are down all the time i can't be around it i don't want to be around toxic people in my life i've really Mm -hmm. made a decision to just kind of eliminate all that from from where i'm at right now i just want to be happy i want to look at the bright side of everything i I just believe that life is like 10 percent what happens to you 90 percent how you react to it 
And like, I, you know, I was dealt a crappy card too, but I have chosen to do something good out of it. And I think we can all do that. And I, yeah. I don't like, so my pet peeve is those people that are like the life vacuum. Yeah. You they know, the people the you. just out of everything. Any yeah. situation isn't good enough. The weather is not yeah. nice enough. That yeah. I'm like, I'm like, look, Eeyore, we yeah. can't <laughs> hang out. Like we can't hang out Eeyore. if we're going to be like this. Uh, my best yeah. friend in life, my, he was my best man at my wedding. I was the best man is Jason Burdett, who's yeah. an all-guy crew chief. Yeah. And if people that don't know him, he's an Eeyore from oh. the outside, right? Yeah. Like he kind of walks around. <laughs> but if you get to know him, he's great. Yeah. But that's my joke. I'm like, yeah. and he told me one day, he's like, I have to be like this because of you. Because yeah. if I was bubbly and you were bubbly, this wouldn't work. Yeah. So he, he blames truth. me. Yeah. He blames me. All right, well, there you go. There's the uh, quick hitters with Sherry Pollux. We've <laughs> learned she's going to drink tea on the <laughs> beach, uh, perhaps in the morning while she meditates. Maybe. And go to the, her favorite restaurant that has all the rest. So we've learned all kinds of great stuff. Yeah. All right, so great conversation, and they can't always be great. They all have to be real at times. So 2014 was my final year as a crew chief. Yeah. Um. So as, as awful as this may sound, I was living in my own little world, my own little bubble. I didn't know what was going on with anyone else, much yeah. like most everyone is. Sure. Um, but that was a major year in your life. Um, yeah. So <coughs> I guess take me through it. I've read so many articles, and you, you've explained it so many different ways. Um, so I don't think it even justifies a question. It's more of take, take me through 2014 in, in yeah. your world. Yeah. <coughs> Well, I mean, at some point in 2014, I wasn't feeling well. Sometime around not long after the Daytona 500, I just knew something wasn't right mm -hmm. and um, started going to the doctor sometime around April and just saying, hey, I don't I don't feel that great. Um, you know, my stomach hurts all the time. I'm having this crazy pelvic pain. I'm having some lower back pain. I'm really bloated. Honestly, initially, I thought I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the doctor and said, you know, can you can you guys look at this and let me know what's wrong? And they were like, oh, you're, you know, you're fine. And um, sent me to an OBG. GYN that told me I had ovarian cysts, which is very common with right. women my age. And um, nobody ever throughout that time even mentioned the word cancer because I was 35 and perfectly healthy. And I think right. everybody, no family history. Everybody was just looking at this healthy person in mm -hmm. front of them thinking that's not even on our radar. And so I, I, I got sort of bounced around in this patient pinball process for about six months until Martin and I had an off weekend <clears throat> in July and went to the Bahamas. And I literally couldn't even like sit up because I was in so much pain. I was like bent over and right. I was living off of just like over the counter medications and stuff. And I thought there's something's got to give. Somebody right. has to find what's wrong with me. And I, and I called this family friend of ours that mm -hmm. was a gastro surgeon that is in Lake Norman. And I was like, Hey, Dr. Heider, I, I need you. Like I, Martin told me to call you. I don't know right. what to do. I don't feel well. And he's like, what have you done? And I went through my whole, you know, all the doctors I'd been through, right. everything I'd been diagnosed with IBS, Crohn's, all this stuff, mm -hmm. which I knew I didn't have. Right. And, um, he said, you need to come to the hospital here in Lake Norman and, and let's do a scan. Has anyone scanned your body? And I said, no. And he said, we need to do a CT scan, find out what's going on and he called me like 30 minutes later and said hey I need you to come back to the hospital and can you bring your family members with you and I thought man that doesn't sound good mm -mm. I was like why would I bring my family with me and then Martin called me and said hey Dr. Heider just called me and he asked me to come pick you up at work and bring you over to the hospital and have your mom with me and I'm like okay, I, 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 this is so weird. Why would he call right. you? And like, and never throughout that whole time while I was at work that day, did I ever even think about the C word? Like it never crossed my right. mind. I thought maybe they're going to tell me I have like gallbladder stones or I have something yeah. like, so I'm going right. to have to have some major surgery. Right. So we walked into Dr. Heider's office and I looked at him and, um, I could tell he'd been crying mm. and his eyes were just really red. And I thought, man, I think this is going to be really bad. So we get into this room and <clears throat> he sits down on this, chair and lays out all this paperwork 
and says, Hey, I have, um, I have your scans in front of me and I'm not, I'm not really sure how to tell you this, but, um, you have ovarian cancer and it's, it's spread everywhere. Like it's all the way up to your lungs, like to the, it was at, at my diaphragm wow. from my pelvic area. And, um, and my, I remember hearing my mom scream and Martin crying and just complete shock just sitting there looking at him because I had I, I didn't know a lot about ovarian cancer but I knew it was deadly right I knew it wasn't one of the good ones right and I just said um that that can't be my body on that scan like I, I just I just have a hard time I don't feel that bad mm-hmm. like that can't be me and he said Sherry it is and um if we don't get you to a major, major medical center by like Christmas you're gonna be dead and it was August 7th wow and I thought man that's as real as it's going to get right there. And, and even throughout that time in the doctor's office with him, I didn't even have that moment where I started to cry. I just remember looking at my mom and Martin bawling and looking back at him and saying, I'm going to fight this with everything I have. So tell me what I have to do. Where do I need to go to get help, to get the best help in the world? Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to do it now. And he said, I've already made you an appointment, you know, tomorrow you're going to go down to Charlotte and you're going to meet with this doctor and, and you're going to have major surgery. It's and and not, I'm not even going to go into all that, right, but right. it's, you know, I had a huge debulking surgery. I mean, I had somewhere around 50 tumors um, removed from my body. So I've had, you know, parts of my colon removed, parts of my stomach. Mm-hmm. I have no spleen, no appendix, no ovaries, no uterus, no cervix. I mean, I I literally, like I tell people all the time, I was like, they gutted me like a deer. <laughs> I mean, I just, they cut me from here to here and took everything um, that I didn't need to survive. And and then, you know, even then going into the surgery, they, you know, it was the first time Martin had ever stepped out of the car. It was Michigan race weekend and Martin had to miss practice on that Friday, mm-hmm. which was huge for him. Matt Crafton was in the car for him. And, um, and they, I remember them telling my family like, Hey, if we get in there and we open her up and there's you yeah, know, right, right. a tumor somewhere like on an artery or somewhere where we can't get to it, we're going to close her up yeah, like, right, right. and we're going to, well, we'll try chemotherapy, but it's not always successful with ovarian cancer patients. And usually the, their risk of recurrence is very high, which I knew. Um, and I remember after leaving Dr. Hyder's office that day on the way home, the first thing I did when I got in the car is I Googled my disease. Yeah. And I saw the statistics. I would, right? I mean, why, yeah. isn't that the, the... I didn't know a lot about it. Yeah. So, like, you know, we all yeah. go to Dr. Google thinking it's going to give us all the right. answers. Right, right. And um, I started to read the statistics, and I thought, man, this is really bad. And mm. I didn't say anything to Martin. Yeah. Um, but I had this, like, breakdown moment when we got home in the driveway. Just threw myself on the ground, just screaming, like, why me? Why right. is this happening to me? Right. I've done everything that I thought I was supposed to do in life right. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this happening to me right now? And... I text my doctor, Dr. Heider, and said, hey, um, you just gave me a death sentence, didn't you? And he said, no. Right. Get off the internet. Right. Get off the internet. Mm-hmm. Like this, like n- well, nothing. That's what I was going to say. I didn't want to interrupt, but the beauty of the story is we're talking 2014, and yeah. here we are in September of 2019. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's yeah. the... The, the, that's the beauty that's of the story. Right. And that's really what's gotten me through this. This this made me want to be this person that can bring hope to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that it doesn't ma- Nobody can tell you that you're a number or you're a statistic. Right. Nobody can tell you how long you're going to be on this earth. Like yep. we all are here for a limited amount of time. And what are we going to do with that time? And how are we going to live our life? And for me, I knew that even going through this like horrible thing that I was going to go through, I wanted to inspire and bring hope to other people. Mm-hmm. And I was going to find a way to do that even through the really tough times and I mean I had 40 roughly 40 IV chemotherapy treatments I've had two surgeries I'm on an oral chemo now I mean I've had a lot of drugs and been through a lot of stuff and I still feel like every morning when my feet hit the ground I'm like 
man, I'm here another day. You know, what can I do to make somebody's day today? Like, this is just amazing. Like, well, it's incredible. It, it's completely amazing. Uh, I mentioned the kids. You know, you go in that list of other people's heroes. Um, it's great if you can catch a ball, drive a car, do for different things. But those are like God-given gifts that you are just lucky enough you get to show other people. Yeah. You, you were given anything but a gift. But how you reacted from it and how you continue to react from it, I think, is really the gift. Um like I said before, I don't have bad days. I don't know why. I yeah. wish I knew why. Like, I wish there was this moment. My mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor. My wow. grandmother, who I live with, she kind of raised me for 20-something years, had cancer of some sort. Wow. Um, finally uh, took her life, but 35 years of a survival. You know, It's incredible. So I, I'm not sure, like, what it is about that, but eventually yeah. I'm just like, you know. I'll tell you what it is. Like, you know. It's perspective. I think that's what it is. It's perspective. So you wake up every day and you just you just have this unique perspective on life. You just look at it so different. It's it as a cancer survivor, it's really hard to explain what that feels like to other people that imagine. haven't been through what you've been through. Like you just you, it's it's so cliché to say, but like everything is different. Like the sky is blue or the grass is greener. Like you look at your life so different. Like you yeah, like winning races and championships and all that. It's awesome. Yeah, great. But like the comparison of like what it feels like to do that and then mm -hmm. what it feels like to survive like any kind of severe trauma in your life and like have this newfound feeling of what it feels like to really be alive is is just not comparable. I, I don't know how to explain it. Right. Like and it's and it's hard because the people around you don't really understand it because they've not been through it. So you're I mean, like, they have empathy but they don't they, have Exactly. Right. You you can try to explain it to them, but it, it's it's not really until you I thought I knew what all my catwalk kids went through. I thought I knew what it was like to go through mm -hmm. pediatric cancer. I would teach their parents. Right, like this is right. what you can do with your kids and you can teach that all day long, but until you've been through it and it hits your home, it is a game changer. So so I guess this is my follow-up. Dale Jr. and I obviously are very close friends, and he has tried to explain concussions. And he gets to the same point you're at right now. He's like, man, I just – I don't know. And he talks yeah. about these people he has met with his treatments, and they have this bonding relationship because mm -hmm. they have battled this yes. same thing. So when you go through the rooms of a place like here in the hospital yeah. or wherever – is, is it just an instant connect? Like instant connection. I'm trying to come up with a question, but I can't. It's, it's it, I not, can't even understand it well enough to. That's right. Yeah, you know? it is. It, it's like that with my catwalk kids too. So throughout the time when I was in my treatment, like those two or three years when we had catwalk and I was in that severe treatment mm -hmm. when I didn't have any hair. I didn't have hair for, I don't know, roughly three years. And I wore wigs a lot just because when I was at the racetrack, I just didn't want everybody staring right. at me. I didn't want a lot of questions about it. So I was like, I'm just going to wear my wigs. Well, when I would go to meet with the kids and, like, get them fitted for their clothes, I would t I would just get down on the ground with them and say, hey, I know what you're going through. Like, I know what it, this feels like. Right. And I know that you're going to have bad days. And I know how bad chemotherapy sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's not fun. But, like, there's going to come a day, too, when you're going to feel better and everything's going to be all right. And I'm just like you. I've been there. I've experienced it. I know what you're going through. I know mm -hmm. what you've been through. And, um, you know, at one point we were in the dressing rooms and um, one of the little girls took my wig off. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you're just like us. Because she right. was bald, too. Right. And I just it, – it's just this connection that's so hard to explain. You just have this empathy and this feeling for them that you're like – I know what you're going through and there's going to come a season in your life. You're going to get through this and everything's going to be okay. And I wish I knew that for like certainty, but I love that I can bring them that hope that right, I can, right. you know, none of us know for certainty. I, Martin and I just had this discussion last night. You, you don't know any more than I do if you're going to be here tomorrow. That's right. There's nobody in this room does regardless of whether you're battling an illness or not. So we all want to live our life like that every day.
day, it's just really hard to have that perspective every day unless you've been through it. It is, and it's um yeah, like I do, I don't know. I just um kids and priorities and just everything in my life has um has changed. I don't know. I wish I tell my wife all the time, not that I was ever ready for a third child, but I wish I would have been better. My I had my son at twenty four. From twenty four to thirty, I just became a crew chief at twenty five. Wow! And like it's this blur of children, yeah. right? And I'm like. I, I tell her all the time, I'm like, I don't know how you did it because, man, I wasn't much help. Yeah. You know, I could, wish I could do anything, but you can't go back and redo it. You can't. So every time I tell myself or anybody, when I hear somebody say, well, I wish I could go back, it's like, well, you can't, but you know what's coming ahead. Yeah. Like, you can always make the change of yeah. perspective. It's so true. Um, coming ahead. So, so this goes right into, I've read so many articles about how it changed you. But then this hashtag, and it started, correct me if I'm wrong on all this, Sherry Strong started as a hashtag. It did. A social, on social media. media hashtag. Yeah. And it has grown. So, so. <laughs> Give Great. me, give me the like. How did it start? What does yeah. it become? I mean, give me the Sherry Honestly, Strong. I don't know who started the hashtag on social media. Somebody, I, somebody at some some point along the road when I was in the hospital yep. and receiving all my treatments, um, probably a fan somewhere just started hashtag. And every time somebody would post a picture, like every time somebody would send prayers, would just hashtag Sherry Strong. Right. And I was like, man, that's cool, you know. And then S- Ray Everham and um, and his wife Erin started making T-shirts. And then the, the, these teal T-shirts because teal is the color of ovarian right. cancer awareness. So then we had all these like never give up T-shirts that had Sherry Strong on them. And so it just became this movement. And at the time, the person that was overseeing our foundation thought – what what do you think about actually starting a website, SherryStrong.org, where we can, like, bring hope to cancer patients? Right. We can inspire them. It doesn't necessarily have to be ovarian cancer, just people that are dealing with any type of illness. Like, can we make a resource where they can go to get help and then find and have hope? And would you be willing to, like, start a blog about what you've been through and – and at the time, I was really getting into, like, integrative medicine. And and so I, you know, would you talk about integrative medicine on there and start to educate people about what they can do to, to feel like they have some sort of control over their disease? Because I think ultimately, as a cancer patient, we know that a lot of it is out of our control. So we want to have that feeling of control when it comes to something, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, how we treat our bodies, what we put in our bodies, you know, how we react to the treatments, the side effects, all of that. And I was, like, really getting into that. So... We, you know, we started SherryStrong.org. I don't even remember what year that was. And it's crazy now because we get hits from all over the world. Wow. We get we get patients from all over the world that send us messages. And now we have this huge retail store and all the Sherry Strong apparel. And, you know, we, we have we sell it at the racetrack now. Right, and right. the tracks allow us to do that, which is amazing. And Toyota has a display, a big Sherry Strong display, and they sell a bunch of stuff. And it's just incredible. I mean, I don't know how it got that big, but I'm so thankful that it did. And I'm thankful that fans have embraced it and, and helped me raise awareness for a disease that is grossly underfunded and doesn't get a lot of attention because you hear a lot of people talk about breast cancer but you don't really hear anyone talk about ovarian cancer and it's just massive numbers you know 500 something thousand women a year get diagnosed with breast and there's 22,000 of us that get ovarian and out of those 22,000 well not out of those 22,000 but 22,000 get diagnosed 14,000 die every year wow so it's it, wow. the statistics are not great. Yeah. So we we you know we want to change that and and bring awareness to that. And so that's you know I don't know the it's it's so surreal to me that we've been given this platform to be able to do that. NASCAR's just been so good to us. As you know, they let me drive the pace car last year in the month of September. It was awesome. And it was teal, and it was just so cool. And they, Martin's car was teal, and at so, the Roval. So you bring up teal. So September. Um, is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month and Childhood yes. Cancer Awareness Month. How ironic is that? And, and it's it's embarrassing to say, I hate to admit this on the pod, but until you started putting it out there as it should have been out there, I had no idea of this yeah. teal Why color. 
I just I just didn't yeah. pink. I did see right. And, and it's it, everywhere. But, yeah, but I've seen now. Um, um, my friends at Wheels Up has a have a teal a airplane. Teal airplane. They I've flew s- me on it a I've bunch s- of times. Right, I've seen uh, teal race cars. Yeah. Um, teal so gloves that Dale Jr. wore. Yeah, the teal teal uh, steering wheels. Yeah, yeah, it's taken me. Yeah. It's awful to say, but I had no idea. It's not awful. You, why would you know? Unless you're yeah. directly affected by it in your life, or you have a mom or a sister or an aunt or a grandma right. that's been through it, you wouldn't know. I didn't know either. I had no idea. So it was a huge Well, take me as process. your case study then, because <laughs> I had no reason to know, and now I know. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, th- so we're doing something right. We're creating awareness about something that doesn't get a lot of attention, and, mm-hmm. and that was our whole point. And, you know, Martin's sponsors have been so amazing. Like, Auto Owners does a teal car, and they right. put so much behind this campaign, and they just gave Martin and I a check for 50 grand at the race and, and Indy and had my logo on the car, and they just they do so much for us. And, and we've just been blessed. Johnny Morris and Bass Pro gives so much to our foundation, and we've had all these people that have embraced what we're doing and and then now you know we dale jr started the movement of i asked him when i was really sick that first year hey would you be willing to wear a pair of skeleton gloves that were teal just let people know what the color of ovarian cancer awareness it just draw some attention to it yeah and he said absolutely like i he didn't even think twice about it Mm -hmm. so then that started that whole glove campaign that he now does with all the different colors for different types of diseases which is awesome and then i thought man i gotta do something else it's like really cool and and that you know that kind of led into the steering wheel thing now we have this teal and gold steering wheel mm-hmm. campaign that we do and we'll be debuting it at the roval and um it's amazing to see all the drivers embrace that and um i think we have roughly 33 drivers running a teal and gold steering wheel for childhood and ovarian cancer at the roval and and then we auction them off so it's become this huge money maker for us as well because everybody you know the driver signed the wheel everybody right. wants to buy them and um and again you know all it takes is an in-car camera from nbc yeah right uh, and and we can create this awareness people are like wait a minute why is that why is that steering wheel teal and gold and for you guys to mention it in the booth and it just becomes this movement it's a, it's the ripple effect right that's it that's how it happens One it starts small little and it wave makes a huge you're amazed yeah, it, you yeah. it, i'm amazed how many people all of us have the chance to touch for for yeah. crazy so you mentioned 33 drivers are going to run them this week at the roval there will be a few bent i'm gonna go ahead and let you know because <laughs> i expect it to be a crazy race Absolutely. third race of the playoffs and then you auction off where where can a fan go and buy uh, these steering well, wheels I'm not exactly sure where they're being auctioned off. We use different programs, but they can go to our website, Martin Trex Jr. Foundation. Find everything they want. Yeah, there. there'll be a link there to go to. to I'll where be they're running auctioned. them up. So th- I won't lie. During the race, I was running up. Um, who was leading? I think it was Kyle Busch. So yeah. from the booth, I kept bidding on Kyle Busch's oh, gloves. That's awesome. Yeah. Because and, and cool. And because somebody, uh, Rick was picking on me because Rick yeah. goes, "Were you going to end up with those gloves?" I said, "Happy." Yeah. I'd be happy to pay the charity yeah. for the gloves. I collect I gloves and helmets. Maybe me I'll too. put a steering wheel in my office. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And in, in the first year we ran that campaign, Martin won the the uh, Southern 500 at Darlington yes. with that wheel. And so um, Martin took the wheel out of the car and showed it on TV and said, "Hey, this is the steering wheel yep. campaign we're doing. Yep. We're going to be auctioning it." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think he. He was the only one. There may be one or two other drivers that were running it. It was the first year we did it. And Johnny Morris was watching at home. That the That's owner the of right guy to see. And he said, I'll take it for 100 grand. Yep, yep. And he texted. And it, Martin told me in Victory Lane that day, and I just started bawling. I was like, oh, my gosh, $100,000 for a steering wheel. Like, it just takes special people to make that type of impact, you know, and, and, to, and to make a huge impact on our foundation so that we can right. help build places like this yeah. and make a difference in these kids' lives. And, yeah, it, it's, it, it's another program that has just taken off. And, and just become incredible. Well, and NASCAR overall so great with the NASCAR Foundation. I think gets involved in they so do. many of these different things. Yeah. Um, they help kind of, um, I guess, orchestrate's not the right word, but just help yeah. it all work along. And it's great because 
how do I politely say like so the NASCAR garage is not a nice place. Yeah. For good it's reason. Really competitive. It should be. Right. Sports. So I, I I was raised there for twenty years. Yeah. And and for twenty years, um, you know, that was where the battle happened. Yeah. So it is refreshing yes. to see the most competitive people I know. Yeah. And it's from driver, crew chief, tire changer, it doesn't matter who it is. For a moment, they're going to uh, come together for right. one cause. And Max Pappas, I think, yes. donates them all. So there's a yes. lot of players involved. Um, yeah. It's such a great situation. It's cool. And we did that one year at um, Chicago, too. We Not long after I was diagnosed, everybody ran teal ribbons on their cars. And they were given the option when they went through inspection. NASCAR said, you don't have to. Yeah, but, right. you know, Sherry's really sick, and we're just asking that we to, to bring awareness to this. And, I mean, I, I don't remember seeing a car that didn't have a teal oh, ribbon sure on it. I'm sure there wasn't. It was – and for me to sit home, I was so sick then. And, I, you know, I, I remember just watching on TV just bawling, thinking, I can't believe people think enough of me or my disease to even want to bring awareness to it. What a gift. And, and honestly, right after I was diagnosed, there was so many people that reached out to me. And you'll love this. The, um, obviously, two, two of the, the biggest um, supporters of me in that time, well, I'll, I'll tell you one, two things. One, the first person that called me after I was diagnosed, when it, when it went public, when right, we, right. we were like, okay, we have to tell everybody. Because mm-hmm. what hypocrites would we be? We've been advocating for these diseases yeah, for so yeah. long if we didn't tell everybody what I was going through. And I was going to miss a lot of races. And Martin was going to be out of the car and um, was Jimmy John. Johnson. He was the first person that called my phone, called yeah. me and said, what can I do to help you? Like, I don't, I don't know if you need to go somewhere, if you need to take my airplane. Right. I don't, I just want you to know that Shaney and I are here. Just tell us. And, and we weren't like really that close with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Th- they mean, just were these incredible people that wanted. And the second person that called me was Mr. Hendrick. Not surprised at all. Um, and sat down with me and just said, I don't know what you need or what I can, but I've been through this. I know what you're going through, and I know how tough it is, and I'm here if you need me. And he, to this day, we still text each other. I hug him every time I see him. We talk about how precious this life is that we've been given and this second chance that we've been given. And and we know, likely, that I have a chronic illness now that I'll battle for the rest of my life. And he kind of looks at his, yeah. his disease the same way, but we live a really good life. Right. And, and we, we feel so lucky to be here. But to have that connection to somebody like him that can provide that kind of support, because w- he does that for a lot of people, but, but he's such a busy man to think right. that he would even take the time to check in with me and, and, and reach out to me was just incredible. And it shows how supportive and amazing the people in the NASCAR garage are. Well, and I think he's one of the ones that he's influenced my life. I started working there at 16, right? So mm-hmm. we talk about perspective. He's helped my perspective. I'll tell you, uh, just a few months ago, I needed help. My daughter was a little ill, and we just needed a doctor to get in. And mm-hmm. I texted him at like 11 o'clock at night, say, "Hey, listen, tomorrow when you get rolling, I think you know somebody here. Could you phone rings? Yeah, you know, and that's how he is. He's that's like, this guy's going to call you. This is who this person is. Yep. This is what you need to tell. Was yes. it Doctor yes, Lemontani? Yes, sir. So, so it started with Doctor Lemontani, <laughs> yeah. and he put me with another one. But, but that's his favorite. That's yeah. his guy, right? That's it all started. Doctor Lemontani, I owe right. uh, a lot of favors to. He helped yeah. my mom through a lot of stuff. But yeah. uh, to your point, these people, this is just how they are. Yeah. Jimmy, you, um, even with your battles and your stuff, I feel the same way with you and Martin and kind of everybody yeah. reaches out. It's um. We're here at uh, Levine Children's Hospital, Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Seacrest Studios, a media studio, put in basically the lobby. Like, we were in the lobby yeah, in a studio so cool. that people could come perform, people could come. They they produce some shows here. The the kids in their 
rooms can see it. I heard they did like a bingo one time. Yeah, we're, they we're, play. We, yeah, we've played bingo. We're gonna have to. Do, I mean, bingo. Yeah. I, I it, think. It's really fun. Martin and I have done a lot of really cool stuff in here with the kids. A lot of games, and yeah, and we've had performers in here, and it's just yeah, it's such an incredible place. I'm, I'm a big believer in perspective, so I'll be back with my kids. Maybe we can host a bingo game. Yeah. Get a group. Maybe we'll do like a NASCAR night. Yeah. So some, we come uh, at Christmas time too with NASCAR Hall of Fame, and we go up and visit with the kids and hand out gifts on the floors and stuff, and that's such a special time of year for us to be able to give back and you know what child wants to spend Christmas in the hospital you know right. so we try to come here and bring them some hope and and bring some gifts and and get everybody in a room together and have a little bit of fun with them and bring Santa with us and it's really cool I love it I love meeting those kids they are heroes of mine Cher you're a hero of mine what you've gone through is spectacular not just the fight you've put up but then putting your story out in front of everyone to not just raise awareness but to raise uh, money is is outstanding. I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Uh, it was a great conversation. I know much more about you now. Than yeah. And, and, and uh, now I, I, I always wondered why you didn't go to Michigan. See, I was always <laughs> confused all this time. So uh, yeah. thanks again. Appreciate yeah. your time. And this has been another Latart on location. As always, subscribe so you get it right away. Rate and review and let us know what you think. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.